0: Welcome to Our Journey. Our journey toward a more perfect union. Our more perfect union is an experiment, a grand experiment in something we all cherish, democracy. Welcome to our Radio Roundtable with higher education consultant, Dr. Michael Walker-Jones, Harvard's Executive Director for Health and Human Rights, Dr. Natalie Alinos, and from Beacon Hill, Representative Jeff Roy, as we the people celebrate the journey of America toward a more perfect union.
1: Welcome to A More Perfect Union. I'm Nick Ramasong along with my co-host, Chris Wolf. Joining us this week from our radio roundtable of regulars, we have Harvard's Executive Director for Health and Human Rights, Dr. Natalie Alinos, Michael Walker-Jones, higher education consultant, and as always, our station manager, Peter Jay. We are here. I'm going to give just a very brief intro today because I think we're going to be at a, uh, a a plethora of riches here. I think a plethora
0: is definitely the college word of the day. There play. you go.
1: Had Warren G. Harding not died in office, and if Richard Nixon had not managed to negotiate a full pardon from Gerald Ford, Donald Trump might very well not have captured the dubious distinction of being the first U.S. president to be indicted and arrested on felony charges. But here we are, April 2023. And Trump has scored the ultimate 10-point headline. Now, the questions before us today, among others, are how much more chaos will he cause? How many more seeds of divisiveness will he sow? How much more damage will he do? And in the end, is this a case where he will not be able to survive and rise again once from the ashes? Does the attorney general of the state of New York have the goods on someone? And that's someone, of course, being Donald Trump. Or is this so muddled in issues that really can be brushed aside? That's where we're going to start with today. How strong do you think this case is? Do you think it is one that the state of New York will be able to press to a successful conclusion?
0: Well, Nick, I'm going to just jump right in here with the notion that, you know, I'm not a lawyer, nor have I played one on TV. (laughs) But in my many business efforts, I have been involved in a number of civil actions and lawsuits on behalf of the companies I've worked for, providing expert testimony and so on. And one of the things that I've become a fan of is case logic. And I took it upon myself to really take a look at what exists in the charges and what does not. And I've done, I think, what is a, a pretty extensive first pass breakdown of the case so so today i think rather than talking about the man we want to talk about the merits of the case how the case is constructed what is actually going to rise as questions issues challenges barriers in the course of litigating this case against donald trump um i looked at the 34 charges and for people who don't really understand how these things work uh the number 34 really doesn't have a whole lot of meaning that is there are 34 counts and so that's a that's an issue of quantity versus quality the quality of the counts versus the quantity thereof in the whole thing and so people's first reaction is oh wow 34 counts the man has no room to escape one of those things is going to get him and that's not necessarily the case of the 34 counts and i i printed out and read and dissected The entirety of what was filed for this case and you can break it all down very quickly into two groupings from count number one to count number seven inclusive the first seven counts are about transactions that took place via trump's revocable trust the remaining counts eight to 34 all took place through his official business records the general ledger For the trump organization that dividing line is really important to understand and there is a repeating structure where we get to 34 counts in other words every single time there is a count like count number 11 or account 17 or whatever count number 11 begins on may 22 2017 with an invoice from michael cohen on that same date the invoice comes into the trust organization and it is converted into a voucher. So we have an invoice, we have a voucher. The voucher simply says that the invoice is legitimate. Part of normal business practice that says, "Okay, here's an invoice, we agree to pay it." And the voucher becomes part of the general ledger. I know half of you are asleep right now listening to me talking about business accounting terms. And what's going to happen in court is the exact same thing. The jurors are going to be severely taxed listening to a very, very long litany hour after hour about business practices, reporting means Etc. But we have an invoice that comes in from Cohen. Well, whatever that invoice is and what it states, we now have to backtrack as to whether or not there was a prior discussion between Trump and Cohen about the nature of that invoice and whether or not it was falsified in some way. That is, it characterizes Cohen's services in a way that are untrue. So that's one thing that has to be developed. Then finally, with respect to the voucher, the voucher is simply permission to pay the invoice. Then there is the entry into the general ledger.
2: I'm getting lost. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know. there
0: if- you go. See the problem. There and so is the I'm, problem. Uh, that's right. And so I'm doing this deliberately to to I appreciate amplify. It. yeah,
2: I appreciate the, the complexity it. of so the case yeah and I and I want to say that as someone who has not read it uh, in its entirety, I'm relying on the news reports of what is. Right. So I really appreciate you breaking it down., uh, but I did want I did want to admit that I am getting lost in case anybody who's listening in is also getting lost. so uh, exactly back to you Pete
0: <laughs> but that that's a key point and so i'm making that exact point and you you're helping me very nicely <laughs> so so natalia you are for example our juror you're one of the important people in the box uh and listening to me prattle on about accounting practices other arcane issues that alvin bragg are going and his group are going to have to establish an invoice comes in it is characterized the invoice is, is accepted for payment by a, a voucher and an entry into the general ledger is made when a check is cut. And so in the case of here again, going back to count number 17, uh, the there is then a voucher, which is eight, six, one, zero, nine, six. Write that down. Uh, oh, no, you can't write anything down. You're a juror. So you have to just listen. Uh, and then finally, 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 a check is issued and the check is 002781 each one of those things i mentioned is considered a count i just named 3 things that is there's a date associated with the arrival of the invoice a date associated with the voucher and the writing of the check and and altogether that makes up 3 counts in truth it's really it's really one event but they've they've written it down as 3 counts because the counts are pointing to pieces of evidence that they want to highlight so you see this rhythm pop up in the 34 counts With count number 8, 11, 14, 17, 20, 23, 26, 29, and 32. They all have that cadence of three events all rolled up. Um, But I go back now to one and seven, one through seven inclusive. Count number one on February the 14th, 2017. There are two vouchers. This is where it gets interesting. There is an 842457 voucher and an 842460 voucher. The 460 voucher is only 3 vouchers away from the first, which in my mind begs the question whether or not at that point in time Mr. Trump and Mr. Cohen may have had a conversation in between the vouchers asking for a change to the nature of the to the nature of the invoice. So an invoice may have arrived, the voucher was modified And finally, after the second voucher, and then a check was cut, 000138. That check was cut from his revocable trust, not the regular business ledger. This is an important point. This
1: is a real nub,
0: yeah. Now, I happen to have a revocable trust. As do I. A revocable trust is nothing special. Basically, it's like having a personal checking account with more fancy syllables. That's it. Mm -hmm. It's money set aside in an account. You can put money into that account. You can take money out of that account. Sounds like a checking account to me. And because it is the Trump revocable trust, now this raises the question as to whether or not this constitutes falsifying business records. A key point, because this is where the state of New York's case lies, falsifying business records. If the falsification is contained in its entirety between counts one and seven, the falsification does not rise to the definition of falsifying a business record. It's falsifying a personal record. It's a no-no. It's a wrist slap. Does not pass the crimes test that takes everything and converts it into not just a misdemeanor, but in fact a, a federal offense or a state offense. So, so this is going to be an, a, a pivotal point, a really pivotal po- pivotal point, and and so I say all of this arcane stuff because of the fact that. It falls under Bragg's purview to demonstrate that this is not a bridge too far. He has to get across that bridge to convince the jurors that this is part of Trump's normal business records. Now, not included in the counts are what was the relationship between Cohen and Trump as determinable by prior invoices? Because let's remember that Trump announced his candidacy on June 16th, uh, June 15th. Uh, and uh, a prior year, in in uh, 2015, so Trump was a candidate for president, and then a year later, he announced Mike Pence as his running mate in the summer of 2016. So the activities in question, the hush money and so forth, may well have taken place between Cohen and Stormy Daniels at that time, and then there was uh, the other lady involved, the Playboy model. I'm blanking on her name for a moment, and there was hush money paid there as well. Mm. And so those activities took place all prior to these charges. Natalie, uh-huh. you had a point uh, you wanted to make.
2: Well, I, I have a couple points. Um, mm-hmm. I just want to jump in also because Michael texted me that he's in the waiting room, so t- to add okay. him in. Listening to you, Pete, and really realizing that this is a, a technical decision around accounting practices, it's not very um, rewarding, you know. To say, you know, we know that President Trump has possibly committed some egregious acts like inciting Mm -hmm. gen six and you know i personally as as a woman uh some of the remarks he made around you know grabbing Mm -hmm. women you know the sexual harassment thing so it's it doesn't feel you know yes it's historic that we are indicting uh you know for the first time a president but it feels like We're indicting over a very technical Mm -hmm. issue around financial disclosures. And
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I
2: I should say that I there's no drama. There's no drama. There's no drama. There's so much drama around this president that it feels kind of like a mismatch between what we would want to be talking about and what we're actually talking about. Um, And so I just want to acknowledge that, that it doesn't. You know, but I guess that's how legal cases are made at times. Well, you, this, know, I, well, exa- it's you it's are
0: what, you're exactly on point because it's, it's what like we used to, to call things. back
1: home when I was a kid. You call that woof of dust. You throw it right. in their eyes and hope they you know, they're blinded. Just kind of, you know, maybe it's uh, throwing a Christian to the lions. Who knows?
0: But your it's point is absolutely very, very well taken because of the fact that there are other famous trials that have taken place that have touched on this very thing. And the prosecutor's case really, really has to be built on strong case logic uh, and that I can see, save for perhaps the newspaper uh, issue with catch and kill story. Um, And and so we can add some drama very simply just by saying if the check don't fit, you must acquit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we can pull a Johnny Cochran here and say that the initial check that was written for counts one through seven. And a second check that was written for counts one through seven, those numbers start out zero 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 one three eight 138, and 147, and then a change to the general ledger checking account, which is 002740. There's a big break in the numbers there, clearly demonstrating that we're now operating off of a different checkbook. And so that said, the shift from the revocable trust over to the general ledger on April 13th, count eight, is a seriously pivotal Pivotal point. Now, we don't know what either the revocable trust or the general ledger looks like with respect to establishing a routine relationship between Cohen and Trump in the normal course, in the day to day of business. Those invoices, those checks, may in fact not be part of the count, but they may be part of evidence that is brought in to establish a prior relationship as having a regular rhythm. If they do that and then suddenly the regular rhythm written on general ledger checks is broken at count one, uh, it simply may fortify Bragg's claim that there is an attempt at avoidance with respect to tainting the business records. Now, does that improve the merits of the case? It can be argued yes and no, but already, you know, of of weighted, you know, up weighted waist deep into the arcane world of accounting. And just as I said, I'm not a lawyer, nor have I played one on TV. And I'm not an accountant, nor have I played one on TV. But we happen to have a supervisory accountant with us, somebody who really understands the ins and outs of business accounting. Uh, And that would be none other than our august Frank Falvey. I thought this case might interest you, Frank, given that it really is an accounting case as much as it is anything else. And, And when you look at the case merits and separate yourself out, from all of the drama, which which, quite frankly, you know, all of the news media have taken the easy route of focusing on the drama. The number of counts made, which is huge, 34 counts and so on. And they're making the usual mountain out of molehills, but one, two weeks from now, this whole story is gonna go back to sleep until such time as Trump's attorneys begin to file other motions. And whenever they file yes. other motions along the way over the next several months, the case will simply be a footnote in the day-to-day of reporting until we actually get to the trial. So I bring all of this stuff up, all of this detail now, because of the fact that it's very complicated. And and so I've started to lay out some of that complexity. You know, what we don't know, the nature and the services and the related amounts listed on Cohen's invoices, are their dated phone con events listed as billable time? Most attorneys, will break down their time. And if Cohen, as an attorney, breaks down his time on the invoice and lists phone conversations with Trump, he doesn't have to list the nature of them. But if he does list phone conversations, well, guess what? That's gonna open the door to discussing the nature of those co- phone conversations with Cohen on the stand. And here's that's where the gonna, drama. Yeah. That's right. That's where the drama's gonna come in. And he's gonna say, Trump and I discussed the following. Mm-hmm. He mentions A, I mention B, he tells me to do A. So that's yeah. going to be the entry point where Cohen is on the stand talking about the nature of his invoices as a paper trail that defines the changing relationship uh, between Cohen and Trump. And who opted to frame the nature of hush money payments? Was it Cohen? Was it Trump? How was that discussion uh, made? And here again, some of that may be characterized by Cohen's invoices that exist prior to the beginning of any charges. So uh, there's, there's a lot going on there that still needs to find its way into the courtroom beyond the counts. Then there's another issue. We're talking about vouchers. We're talking about ledgers. We're talking about invoices and how they come into the organization. There's the matter of Trump's agents and assigns, a legal term describing the fact that he has staff. And Trump's staff would take in an invoice which may have been characterized between trump and cohen that invoice rolls in his staff casts a voucher for it as written goes into the ledger trump informs his staff i want these two invoices vouched into my personal account and that's all he says and the staff doesn't need to know why they just do what they're told and then after that, all the other invoices come rolling in as per usual, and they go back to the general ledger. And so that said, you would have to put his staffers on the stand to make some declarations as to the nature of discussions that Trump had with them regarding how invoices were to be handled. You know, again, here we are back in the business of bookkeeping and accounting and how it was all going to play out. Um,
3: well, I think, yeah. And once
0: again, the jury's asleep. Natalie, you awake? <laughs> uh,
3: there's, a, there's a large aspect of this that I think is going to become extremely relevant. I think you're correct that it is a complicated case, and it's going to be made even more complicated in the manner in which they made these felonies, which is to cite the conspiracy aspect of this as sort of the multiplier, if you will. Yes. And the so it's not just Cohen who they're going to be calling upon to talk about uh, payments. Uh, we've got Mr. Pecker too, as well. Exactly. Uh, from uh, from the catch
0: the, and kill uh, strategy.
3: Yeah, the catch and kill strategy. We also have payments, not just to one person of interest, uh, uh, Stormy Daniels, but we also have a Playboy model. We also have- The doorman. A, uh, uh, we also have uh, a doorman, uh, so and in, in each one of these instances, the prosecution is going to have checks right. written to these people. So this case is going to turn, I think, not just on testimony, but also on physical evidence. Mm-hmm. It's going to be boring. It's not a he said, she said kind of deal. This is a matter of, uh, I think, as you laid it out, Pete. Uh, this is going to be a matter of how were these payments made? Who were they made to? And then some corroboration of that uh, from Cohen, from Pecker, from uh, even the people who received the checks, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well as the checks themselves. I you know, i'm I'm not as concerned about the technicality around this as much as I am. Uh, what the defense is going to try to do in terms of saying, oh, this is just normal course of business. Mm -hmm. He would have been interested in trying to stop these things, whether he was running for president or not. Because there is this subtle aspect of, okay, is someone going to fess up and say, other than Cohen, that yes, this was related to the campaign, which then brings in the campaign finance, laws Mm -hmm. violation of that, and then the cover-up.
0: And that's Pecker's position. That
3: multiplies.
0: It. Mm-hmm. Exactly.
3: So, so I'm very, uh, and, and on top of that, don't forget too, we've got another sort of shocker here, which is that the Trump administration in terms of the justice department told the state to stand down and told them, Hey, we've got this. Mm-hmm. This was a lie. As soon as they got, uh, Michael Cohen. Uh, you know, then Barr tells uh, tells the folks, oh, you know, look, uh, don't worry about it. We got this, which was a lie. And now we know that the Justice Department stepped in in order to stop any investigation of uh, co-conspirator one, which everyone mm-hmm. at this point knows is Trump. I think we've got some pretty serious kinds of Democratic as well as judicial things here uh, that are working. Um But like I said, this is going to be boring because this is a financial prosecution, Uh, the falsification of Mm. records, the lying, the cover up. uh, So the people are not going to be as important as all the documentation Mm. around how this happened, when it happened, did it happen over a period of time? And I think they did a good job, Peter, in terms of laying that out. So strap in you know, get some popcorn if this is going to turn you on. Uh, that's
0: right.
3: Or, uh, you know, check back every five minutes or 10 minutes or every hour or once a day, because uh, it's going to be boring.
1: Well, well it, it boring. will be until court is adjourned for the day, and then the yeah. circus starts.
3: <laughs> right. And that's exactly. what
1: I'm looking forward to.
0: Exactly. exactly. And so there, there are two bridges to cross here. The first one we talked about, which is obviously – whether or not they can connect Trump's revocable trust to the ordinary course of business, the day to day of it. And if they can demonstrate that there were other business expenses attributed to the trust, legitimate business expenses, if they can tie the trust into the business as a second working account, that's going to be an interesting tactic. Then the second bridge that you highlight, Dr. Mike, is very simple whether or not this is connected to the election and that is where the publisher's testimony is going to be mission critical uh, in establishing hush money its movement and timing and any discussions directly noting the election and bad publicity protections afforded to candidate trump when the publisher and the candidate got together and had any kind of a phone discussion with respect to i'm going to protect your candidacy By killing this story, that bridge is crossed. And now what you've got no longer can be considered a misdemeanor. So that's going to be a fascinating discussion. So there are two people here who are absolutely pivotal. Mr. Cohen, Mr. Pecker, both have to stand up and be credible witnesses with unassailable testimony. Mm -hmm.
3: I think both of them are on the record of having already stated that. I don't know if any of you... Uh, my final panelist here, I don't know if any of you all remember that, but I think Pecker's already on the record saying, yes, I was involved in a catch and kill scheme with him.
0: Yes. Oh, no to question.
3: Protect him from, mm-hmm. the, uh, from bad stories during the election. Right. Mm-hmm. That's all he's got to say.
0: That's right. And so uh, his testimony is going to be pretty straightforward. He has not veered from that position. That one ought to be a clean statement. In in pursuing the case logic, uh, Cohen's testimony is mm-hmm. probably going to be a little more difficult because he has showed some variance in his testimony.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, we're going to look uh, at some, most people uh, are going to look at this and say, you know, who's got clean hands between the two of them? Right.
0: Well, did well, Cohen do time for this, these very actions? I think he's already passed that point. I don't think so. And I'm sure that probably in the process of agreeing to testify he probably has immunity from anything else that might rise up mm. in the course of the case. Well, that's what I... but I, uh, Well, yeah, forgive did, me. My, I,
1: again, I'm not a lawyer nor an accountant. I actually fell asleep whilst training to be an accountant
0: on the books <laughs> because it was so boring. <laughs> well, but, you know, Frank's going to be sitting there sorry. Enjoying, <laughs> enjoying... Frank's going to be enjoying the big bucket of popcorn with extra butter mm-hmm. during the entire proceedings. Right, Frank? Yes. But I like, will be. I my, will be. My limited understanding was that... Um, Michael Cohen uh, obviously was
1: aware of these transactions and has already been convicted for these crimes right, right? now. A, he's yes. He's spreading yes. the net to see if Mr. Trump mm-hmm. uh, was aware and knowledgeable and sanctioned any of these actions that have already been found criminal, right? No. Uh, yes. Am I-, Natalie, I I know you're you you we want to value your time you've got to run here soon.
2: You, I do have to run but I have a similar question to Chris in terms of like are there other scapegoats like is this suddenly who who is going to if Trump himself is not like in the end is it possible that some third or fourth or fifth person is suddenly going to go to jail for this and not the person who we think is held responsible and again I'm not a lawyer but if like I'm I'm wondering if anybody has any insights as to who could take the fall? Um, well, Jr.
0: we know that his CFO has already been damaged, and so if there's going to be anything in there, we haven't discussed his role. But his CFO is clearly going to have to be on the stand at some point, particularly with respect to any other agents and assigns who are involved in this whole thing. Well, to, and, to bring this back, wouldn't to, that require yeah. a separate case to be brought against that individual <laughs> because this arraignment is against one individual person? One
1: uh, again, right? to, well, well, to here help again, myself
4: through.
0: Here again, uh, I think that there's probably immunity in play, and the fact that that case has already been tried, right? So, so he's probably going to have his hands untied, so he can speak freely. Can yeah.
4: I bring sure. my my uh, unusual uh, perspective on uh, this case? Absolutely. I, I I like to quote Chris Christie from Good Morning America show. There you go. One, you don't. Bring a case against the President of the United States without it being solid and while, without it being an aha moment and it's airtight. Yes. This case does not, in my opinion, meet that standard. The other thing about the district attorney, right? This case might have a lot of civil li- li- litigation attached yep. around the nature of the case. But I don't believe it has any criminal uh, precedent of people being uh, cited and bought under this type of case, and the and Christie's criticism of the district attorney of putting only so much resources. The district attorney office has only only so much resources, and he has ignored the criminal aspects happening in Manhattan and decided to put all his resources really and his top notch people on this case, which mm-hmm. is doing a disservice to the people of New York and and in the criminal aspects that are going on. The case, okay, I think from a, a point of view would never have is never bought against the wealthy that are doing this on a regular basis. I don't understand how a state can bring a violation of federal election law on a state basis. Uh, That constitutional, to me, seems that it has got to be an issue. How can a state say that the election law rose to a felony, right, when they're not in federal court?
0: Well, I, the, they're pointing I, I think but, one of the key details, Frank, is that they're pointing to the federal law and the fact that it violates election laws, but they're they're not questioning that part of it. They're using that as permission to state that the counts they have put forward are no longer misdemeanors. And so they're they're making that careful distinction. Which well, I, I think
3: that- and I think to brag uh, the other day, in his in his uh, his when he did the uh, the little follow up after the, uh, the hearing. Oh, you mean his, the Mar-a-Lago event? Uh, no, 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 no. I'm talking about the District attorney.
0: Oh, okay. Sorry.
3: First off, let's 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 be clear. This particular district of New York is uh, covers the financial district, and as he stated. This is one of their bread and butter cases. They bring these kinds of cases all the time on people who have committed these kinds of uh, falsification of records. They also have uh, brought cases uh, that have amounted to felonies, albeit, uh, I think, in this particular instance, he's pointing to two uh, other violations, one federal in terms of federal election law, but also remember he said that this case also is a violation of New York state mm-hmm. election law. So albeit they're pointing to the uh, the federal law, that's not what he's being prosecuted for, albeit the facts arise. And if the feds, <clears throat> uh, and don't forget, Cohen was found guilty under the federal statute and in that case there was a finding that there was this individual uh, person who was a co-conspirator co-conspirator number mm-hmm. one don't forget that the uh, uh, that the uh, the evidence pointed to this person being a co-conspirator with, Michael Cohen, mm-hmm. which is why this thing is going to get somewhat complicated. But I don't think there's anything insurmountable, and I disagree with you, Frank, on the one piece, which is there should be no different standard because you've been president of the of the United States versus uh, you know Michael Walker, who is the CEO of the. Uh, Michael Chip Corporation over in the new uh, 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 tower uh, off of Wall Street.
0: Congratulations, uh, by the way, on your. I oh, you're position. welcome. Uh, no problem. <laughs> thank
3: you. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, so, in that respect, you know, Trump, as a matter of fact, I heard it stated last night, one of the things is that they're going to ultimately. I think the judge is going to ask the defense attorneys to stop referring to him as uh former president. And they're going to have to start referring to him as defendant of Trump, Mr. Trump. Okay. Because again, when we're in court, all of us should be of equal status. And that's going to also bring another uh, revelation. Mm-hmm. I hope to the rest of the world mm-hmm. that, you know, because you're, former president doesn't mean you get any kind of special status uh uh inside of that courtroom
1: we all believe that
3: yeah right i mean it's <laughs> look i i come from a community where what i'm speaking right now is hyperbolic uh, mm-hmm. i don't believe it for a minute that people of wealth and position uh get different kinds of treatment in court Uh, For anything, whether it's criminal or civil, they get different kinds of treatment than those of us who are not people of status, means or wealth. Uh, But at least let's keep the show going, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Let's keep the pretense up. Yes, Uh, because that's what this this ultimately is being argued in the court of public opinion, uh, is that Trump is somehow above all of this and we're treating him unfairly and we're crucifying this poor guy uh, when he's done nothing wrong other than be a good president Uh, and he's our savior. Right. Uh, Your thoughts.
0: Well, I, for one, there there are a couple of other things here that we can take a look at with respect to this case. We've talked about the two bridges again, bridge number one, making sure that we tie together all of the accounts that Trump uh, paid made checks out as being in the normal course of business and related to business records. If all of the checks, vouchers, and ledger entries can be classified as business records, then that's bridge number one successfully crossed. That has to be done. Bridge number two is going to be the publisher's testimony with respect to catch and kill, tying it to the elections, uh, and the violation of federal and state law with respect to candidates. If they cross bridge number two, then they've got a solid case that can be made. Those are the two key bridges. And they're going to have to keep that really, really clear in the juror's mind. And they're going to have to rebuild all of that and fortify all of that in their closing arguments and come up with something that is the opposite of if the checks don't fit, you must acquit. The other issues, there are two other issues to talk about here. I want to talk about jury selection. I brought it up earlier. And we talked about whether or not some number of jurors might have their own revocable trusts and understand what they are and are not, and whether or not they consider them to be business records. So there is that, which attacks business, uh, attacks bridge number one. Then there is this other notion. Consider a ninja Trump supporter, someone who is an avid Trump supporter, or some ones, a number of people, who are clearly in Trump's camp, who are called to jury duty, who believe that Trump is innocent, already have that bias in place, that unshakable bias. And they sit there with enough intelligence to look at both attorneys in the process of their declarations and say, well, we need to consider the case on its merits. Yes, I understand what a revocable trust is. I don't happen to have one, but maybe it's associated with the business. I don't know, I'm willing to listen. And maybe, maybe the president's done something wrong. I don't know. Um, And so somewhere between whatever they say, they might squeak by with being accepted by both attorneys and they find their way into the jury pool. So now we've got a jury of his peers, 12 people, of which let's say 25% of them are MAGA people, rabid Trump supporters. Welcome to your hung jury.
1: I mean yeah sure that it can work that it can work the other way too. Yeah. So you you that's why they Or maybe they,
0: even a mistrial.
1: Yeah. That's why when, they've turned when, jury selection into such an art. I was that's thinking
0: right. yes the, the
1: selection process would um try and find people who've been uh,
0: oblivious to public affairs for the last right. 7 years. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Oh by the way I want to point out that uh juror Linos is now officially asleep. <laughs> <laughs> anyway
3: (laughs) well the the other thing too is is that you know know, i'm going to be really interested i don't know if we'll ever get to see it but i'll be interested to see the questionnaire that's given yes the potential jurors.
0: yes exactly
3: Uh, that's going to be the number one or the first uh screening process so uh and i think that we all understand now that uh jury selection is an art form oh yeah um, and the prosecutors in this particular instance, if they do as many cases as they say they do, they, they know some of the questions that they're already going to put on that questionnaire. And then they also have a battery of previous responses that they're mm-hmm. then going to sort of take this whole thing, take it through that particular SIV in order to try it. Ask well, to really understand yes. uh, this kind of case.
0: Uh, I, th- I think that the attorneys are looking for Frank. They're looking for jurors like Frank who are going to listen really hard with some intelligence about what is in play. And they're going to want someone who is really going to take the course of deliberation very seriously. Mm-hmm. So, Frank, I'm nominating you right now, even though you're not a citizen in the state of New York. <laughs> you no, know, We can make you book.
1: one. We can make well, you one pretty quickly. That's right.
0: If
4: you if you nominate someone like me, okay, that uh, <laughs> has a bachelor of science degree from Bentley College in accounting, even though I went tonight to earn it, it's a degree. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's a degree, and 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 the irregular trust, okay, always has seemed to me to be a more a personal uh, account, a personal setup. Right as mm-hmm. a, po- a, a mm-hmm. as as a normal checking account so you you have this question why can't you do what you want with your own personal money bingo and 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 it's out of i thought that this money would have flown through his re-election account but apparently no. it apparently it has mm-hmm. never flown mm-hmm. through uh-uh. his re-election account that was one of my impressions leading up to the the, the unsealing of the uh,
0: indictment. Right, exactly. The and other, so that's a point, Frank, is that you know, regardless of your personal feelings about 45, etc., you're looking at the case as the case. Right, mm-hmm. as the case.
4: And, right. and the other thing that I was misled on is I thought part of the falsification of business records was the, going to be the overvaluation of his property and mm-hmm. uh, his misleading statements to banks and other institutions of how much he was really worth and is the devaluation of property uh, for tax purposes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but apparently that isn't a violation of New York state law. Exactly.
3: So, oh, yeah. Oh, 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 but it is, gentlemen. Oh,
4: but it is. <laughs> but it's not part of the indictments. Well,
1: that may be in abeyance.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't forget the 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 district
3: attorney did put in there that there is this little section and he didn't go into detail about. It. Remember, what he said was is that there are some underlying uh, laws and issues that have not been uh, sort of put out front yet. And his explanation there was that the New York state law doesn't require him at this point to put that in there. But right. there is some tax uh, implications in uh, the, uh, uh, and I don't have them in front of me, but there's, uh, uh, but there are some tax implications, I think. Uh, and Pete, you can fact check this if you've got a copy of the uh, of the thirty four points of indictment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we may still be hearing some of that, uh, but we don't know yet. We don't know. And uh, and. It it,
0: may be it, it may it, be it, ancillary to the case but it's not listed specifically in the indictment counts
3: it, it, he did it, make, it, but he did make mention of it
4: uh, so we don't know yet uh, Right. so if a publisher right mm-hmm. uh that likes to publish palacial news and uh, news that is unfounded right uh and and highlight it if he cares, to, what was it, one hundred and fifty thousand dollars or something? Whatever the amount of money was, right? Okay, um, uh, and and has an interest has an interest in seeing Trump elected. What in the world is wrong with them killing the story? I mean, you you would have to prove a direct, in my opinion, a direct connection of a conversation or records between that editor in the payment of the money because Trump specifically uh, requested this editor to do it. If there isn't black and white evidence, so what? I mean, the publisher... Paid out the money, which he normally does. He decided not to publish the story, like mm-hmm. other stories. I imagine he pays for and doesn't publish. Where where is the violation without specific collaborating evidence? That I go back to Chris Christie saying you gotta have a solid, airtight shot in uh case. Mm-hmm. I mean, from an accounting point of view, I don't see anything necessarily inappropriate on the publisher's part. He wants to spend money and doesn't want to publish the story. Fine. Hey, so what? Mm. Well, some of this, though, is, is speculation
3: on our part, and I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, I guess, the same thing I would if I were on uh, George Reed Show or anybody else is tossing us into. We don't know what all of the evidence is yet. Right. Um, and I think you're right, Frank, speculating around this, okay, that's an argument for the defense. Uh, the prosecution may have some evidence that goes to that particular part uh, because what the prosecution has said is that the, the crime here was not necessarily Trump <clears throat> trying to convince a publisher to catch and kill. It was the defrauding of the general public in terms of trying to win the election. Right Now, you can't use your even your own money if that's what your intent is. So I think the prosecution is going to have to, and goes back to, again, Peter's point, and I think the point you're making, Frank, which is they're going to have to prove that yes, <clears throat> there was this agreement amongst Three or four people, uh, to try to take money, hush up in quiet stories, hush up in quiet people. Uh, and even if that money came out of his personal account, the purpose of this was was a crime to defraud the electors.
0: It was a crime.
4: crime. Well, hold it right there, Michael. Hold it right there for a second, Michael. The defense certainly can bring up that Trump probably has done this in the past and paid off other people not to have stories published. And this probably is a pattern of his whole life where he has paid other hush money for other purposes. So what's so different about about the timing of this hush money being paid?
3: if he can show a pattern your point is well taken frank if if they can show a pattern that that trump has done this his whole life and the mere fact that he was running for president uh sort of heightened it uh you know to a point where he was really trying to uh again close these stories down but he's done this many 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 times and he's done it out of these accounts that does go to uh his defense it does bring up i think in the because what you're trying to prove as the defense lawyers is reasonable doubt Mm -hmm. you don't have to show that uh uh okay it's up to the prosecutors to make all of those connections but if you can bring reasonable doubt in front of that jury uh then hey that's the way for you to try to win your case And Mm -hmm. I think your point is well taken, Frank. His defense attorneys are going to throw that out there. They're going to say, oh, he's done this and stuff for 40 years. All right. This is nothing new.
0: Uh, And by the way, all of those things are are asides that are technically not even admissible in court. Because now what you're doing is you're trying old business that's not pertinent to the case.
4: Well, Well, they they would be
3: going to say it's pertinent because it shows a pattern of behavior. Sure that uh that uh
0: that's uh it it's good for the jury it, it's good for the defense to bring it up because of the fact that it, it it throws chaff in front of the jury but technically speaking in a court you can't try multiple cases and 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 dredge up old past business as being pertinent to the activities that went on against the charges no that but i think said, what you
1: what you can do with that tactic of just you know bringing right. it up occasionally and having it kind of fall flat for you you can be, that could be an aim towards future prosecution mm-hmm. that could be showing, yeah, he did this daily, every mm-hmm. day. It was like getting up and saying hello to the sun. He <laughs> wrote a check to buy somebody off, hush them down, shut uh-huh. them down. So
4: what What, what I do we think do with that?
1: The and then for... that can tie, tie into the, the future litigation that may well be on its way to him.
4: What I think Trump's most Serious problem is, is his speaking of threats to the district attorney and yes. the judge and the judge's family. The judge is so exactly I right. I think what's going to come out of this case is a more serious charge of of, of threatening, of threatening mm-hmm. public officials uh, to the point of endangering their lives. I mean, right now. This judge and the district attorney have got to have special New York police uh, coverage covering their home, the children, and the and judges. Whatever. Judges.
0: Judges. Family has already started receiving threats.
4: You're right. So I I think the charge of uh, the the Trump's folly is that he he is heading because of his nature and who he is straight into jail
0: because of his wealth. It's, it it puts the whole case at risk. There there's it, it enters the potential for a mistrial. Uh it 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 is unwise. And it gets us to the final point. Either before the trial and potentially during the trial, anything that Trump might say is uncontrollable. It's a wild card, the wildest card we know. Uh witnessed that after flying down to Mar-a-Lago and saying he's going to make this giant statement, which in some obligatory way, the press said, all right, well, we, what's he going to say? Because the case is in the news right now, and anything he's going to say after being indicted is relevant to the news cycle. We've got to at least look at it. So what happened? At Mar-a-Lago, he steps up to the podium, and he goes into a machine gun rat-a-tat set of complaints mm-hmm. uh, right off of the election trail, and and it's identical to his stump speech, Here in Boston, the TV stations gave him two minutes. And when they realized that he hadn't even mentioned the indictments in the first two minutes, they Mm -hmm. shut his water off. Mm -hmm. They took him out and left it to the pundits to analyze all of this stuff after the fact. And so his speech wasn't even covered in the entirety. The news departments did, I think, a good job of dealing with Occam's razor. Mm -hmm. They had to show something, but they couldn't carry the whole speech once it became clear that the nature of the speech wasn't even remotely connected to the day's events. And, and so I think,
3: you know, and let's keep in mind too, that, uh, uh, cause I did read some of the transcript, um, not all of it, but I read some of the transcript, uh, the part that I was looking for was the admonishment by the judge to Trump. Yes. And, um, And here's what the judge did, which I think is extremely smart and astute on the part of the judge. Mm. He said to Trump, you know, you still have your First Amendment rights, but I'm going to caution you Mm -hmm. that, you know, that will only go so far. And if the district attorney comes back and gives me something that says you've crossed that line, I'm going to take that real serious in the story. Now, what does that do for the judge, uh, having, having done this over my entire career in labor relations? What the, what the judge did was set up a whole system of due process yep. that actually helps to solidify that he's treating Trump like he would any other person. You know, you go into court, and if you've never been in there before, uh, you know, the judge is going to give you some deference and say, oh, okay. And in most instances, the judge says, uh, you know, because they don't have to do this because most most Mm -hmm. defendants don't go in with this attitude that, uh, you know, I'm being treated unfairly. Uh, You you know, they're just trying to get themselves out of whatever legal entanglements they have. Right. So here's what the judge will do next. If the prosecutor comes back and says, Your Honor, this man is really out here and his rhetoric is leading others to do this. The judge will say, okay, I'm going to give you now, uh, because I told you before that if he brings this up, I'm going to take this seriously. I'm going to give you a warning. You don't, you stop this. Don't use that kind of language out there. And if you do, the next time it comes in front of me, I'm going to do something a little more serious. And mm-hmm. so now the judge has the ability to keep stepping it up. Ultimately, I think your point is well taken, Frank, that he could find himself in jail under a, uh, uh, a contempt of court order. Uh, and if he goes too far, the prosecutor could bring another charge, which is this public incitement against a, an elected official, which is a law in New York State. And if that happens, then bam, all right. Trump and his attorneys may find themselves in some real hot water because these same warnings apply to the attorneys who are uh, who are uh, in charge of keeping mm-hmm. their client in On a leash. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, it- and the judge also. The other thing too that I did read in the transcript is that the judge has already said to Trump. You know, we can do this case without you. If you're not here, we can carry on this case. So be mm-hmm. very careful because I have the authority to remove you from this courtroom. Uh, and uh, if you don't show up, I have the authority to go have the New York State police go get you.
1: Mm. I think what this brings up is the old scorpion. is a scorpion on the on the shore, and he wants to cross the lake and a frog is there and he says you carry me across on your back and uh you know can would you do that for me he says he says why would i do that he says i you know why am i going to do anything to you <clears throat> halfway through that scorpion stings that frog he turns around looks at him says would you do that for now you've killed us both he says couldn't help it i'm
0: i'm a scorpion i'm a scorpion,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm a scorpion. that's what i do right
0: Just another day at the office. Yeah. (laughs) On uh, that note, Nick, I think we've covered an awful lot of ground. And my last comment is very simple. This case is going to demonstrate once again whether or not the Don is still Teflon.
1: (laughs) On that note, another more perfect union hour has flown by. We will have to say goodbye until next week. If you would like to weigh in on our discussions, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at franklin.tv. That's I-N-F-O at franklin.tv. If you enjoyed our discussion, please let us know. Or if you, again, disagree, all the more reason to let us know. You can also share or listen to this program or any of our past episodes anytime. Our podcasts are available online at our website, wfpr.fm. For our guests... Dr. Natalia Linos, Dr. Michael Anthony Walker Jones, Frank Falvey, my co-host Christopher Wolf, and as always, the scintillating station manager Peter J.
0: I'm scintillating as fast as I can.
1: That a boy. I, the uncintillating scintillating Nick Remesong, thank you for listening and joining our shared journey toward a more perfect union. This is Franklin Public Radio.